Episode 71. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. This week, we reach the end of another mighty soliloquy from Hamlet, and in so doing, the end of this scene and this act. In a sense, it all comes down to this. At the point we stopped last week, there's a difference between the folio and the quarto texts of the play. The folio has Hamlet continue and say, Oh, vengeance! but it doesn't feature in the quarto. This isn't a major divergence, of course, but it does give a sense of how perhaps actors have made their mark on the play. Did Richard Burbage add this extra exclamation? Did he do it in a particularly memorable way, or did he and Shakespeare fight over it, perhaps, or celebrate it, to such an extent that those who compiled the folio insisted on its inclusion? Goodness knows. At this point in the soliloquy, it's totally understandable for Hamlet to call for vengeance, since he's worked himself up counting the ways in which Claudius is a villain. The exclamation feels to me like a turning point. Hamlet here continues, as has been his pattern in this soliloquy, turning his attention from another, he's described, back to himself, for one last bout of self-flagellation, and then perhaps he'll take some action. Oh, vengeance! Why, what an ass am I? This is most brave, that I, the son of a dear father murdered, prompted to my revenge by heaven and hell, must like a whore unpack my heart with words, and fall a-cursing like a very drab, a scullion. Fie upon it, foh, about my brain. I have heard that guilty creatures sitting at a play have by the very cunning of the scene been struck so to the soul that presently they have proclaimed their malefactions. For murder, though it have no tongue, will speak with most miraculous organ. I'll have these players play something like the murder of my father before mine uncle. I'll observe his looks. I'll tent him to the quick. If he but blench, I know my course. The spirit that I have seen may be the devil, and the devil hath power to assume a pleasing shape. Yea, and perhaps out of my weakness and my melancholy, as he is very potent with such spirits, abuses me to damn me. I'll have grounds more relative than this, the play's the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. The anguish Hamlet is feeling is very real. Again, he's comparing himself to those with more freedom or more license than he feels he has. Why, what an ass am I, he wonders. He gets into a whole knot of images that play with gender and stem from his confusion at his current state. Is it not brave or admirable, he wonders, sarcastically, that he, the son of a murdered father, is stuck like this? Different editions have him say, the dear murdered, or a dear father murdered. The latter is certainly clearer, but there's something poetic too about the dear murdered as it sounds like something between the dearly departed and a prized target that was slaughtered. Hamlet is very troubled by the fact that he's had a visit from a ghost prompting him to revenge, but he hasn't managed to do anything about it yet. He's tentative, and it's worth noting that he says he's prompted by heaven and hell. 
it was a rare thing for a ghost to come back from heaven, but he's hedging his bets here since, obviously, he doesn't want to start thinking that his father is a malevolent spirit from below. But instead of acting genuinely bravely, he's stuck and he hates it. Drawing perhaps from the proverbial dichotomy that women speak and men act, Hamlet likens himself to a prostitute, unloading his heart with words, 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 instead of being brave enough to act. Instead of doing anything, he's still here, cursing Claudius like a low woman. This isn't Shakespeare's finest moment when it comes to gender or his depictions of women, not least in a country that had had a ferocious, active female monarch for over four decades. Nonetheless, Hamlet is desperate and human and unhappy. In this court, he feels no more powerful than a whore or a kitchen maid or a scullion. Having worked himself down to this low point, having called himself a rogue and peasant slave, a dull and muddy-meddled rascal, coward, villain, pigeon-livered ass and now a whore, a very drab, a scullion, he's just about run out of words. And if there are no more words, perhaps it's time at last for action. We actually see him pushing himself. Shakespeare writes it into the words here. Fie upon it. Foe. These are just exclamations, clearly of frustration. But then he says, about my brain. And that's a bit of encouragement. About or about it was what you'd shout at a servant who was taking too long to get a job done. Hamlet is shouting at his own brain, trying to think of something. Now, while I wouldn't dream of calling it a weakness, it is unusual that for once we already know what Hamlet's plan is going to be. What is so often thrilling about Shakespeare's characters is that we can see them think. Subtext isn't nearly as important in Shakespeare because characters speak their thoughts as they think them. There's an immediacy to this. But about 50 lines ago, Hamlet first mentioned his idea to the player king. Now he seems to have it again, mulling it over in more detail, explaining the plan to us. Since it's Hamlet that's talking, he delivers the thought in extended sentences, paragraphs indeed. Hum, he says. I have heard that guilty creatures sitting at a play have by the very cunning of the scene been struck so to the soul that presently they have proclaimed their malefactions. Shakespeare is setting up the big finish to this act, and his language continues to be as rich as ever. It's not just guilty men, but guilty creatures sitting at a play. There's alliteration as they presently proclaim, and it's malefactions that they confess, rather than mere crimes. Hamlet already mentioned cunning as a feature of an excellent play, way back when he was asking for the speech from Aeneas's tale to Dido. Here he describes how, if a play is well-crafted enough, it could prompt the guilty to confess. When Hamlet says that he has heard about guilty creatures sitting at a play, it's one final reference to another play within this most theatrical of scenes. Shakespeare's company, the Lord Chamberlain's men, performed a play in 1599 called A Warning to Fair Women, in which a woman from Norfolk was so moved while watching a company of travelling players that she confessed her husband's murder. So Hamlet perhaps wasn't the only person standing in the theatre who had heard about this possible effect, which might indeed work considering how similar the circumstances are in the Danish court. Hamlet continues, For murder though it have no tongue, will speak with most miraculous organ. 
even if murder itself cannot speak, it will out, as the saying goes. It will still come to light, often by the most extraordinary or miraculous ways. And now Hamlet explains what his plan is. I'll have these players play something like the murder of my father before mine uncle. I'll observe his looks. I'll tent him to the quick. If he but blench, I know my course. So, Hamlet plans to have the actors perform a version of the murder that the ghost described in front of Claudius. Hamlet will watch the king. The phrase, tent him to the quick, has nothing to do with tents or canvas, so much as Hamlet being so attentive to Claudius that he's watching him down to his heartbeat, his soul, his life force even, that which makes him quick rather than dead. And, Hamlet says, if he even flinches or blanches or turns pale, he'll know what he has to do. It's getting very exciting now, because Hamlet is including us, the viewers, in his plan as he lays this trap. Hamlet still doesn't quite trust what he has seen. The ghost of his father was convincing enough, but Hamlet's fears that he is a goblin damned rather than a spirit of health haven't quite gone away. He explains his concern a little more. The spirit that I have seen may be the devil, and the devil hath power to assume a pleasing shape. Yea, and perhaps out of my weakness and my melancholy, as he is very potent with such spirits, abuses me to damn me. It's a fairly reasonable concern. If you're seeing a ghost, what's to say it's not actually the devil trying to lead you to perdition? The devil has the power to assume a pleasing or a convincing shape. Hamlet knows that he has been weak and sad, and explains the common assumption that people in his melancholy condition were particularly susceptible to the devil's potent temptations. Could it have been the devil preying on Hamlet in order to damn him? Hamlet is deciding that he really does need more proof than just the word of a ghost, however convincing. So, he insists, I'll have grounds more relative than this. And now we get to the final line of this extraordinary scene, a scene that has been chock full of references to plays, contemporary theatre politics and styles, kinds of performance, references and jibes at other plays, discussions of acting, and among so much else, of theatre's power to move and provoke various emotions, feelings, and even confessions. Hamlet's conclusion is that the play's the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. So there we have it. Hamlet has thought his way into a plan. This is only the end of the play's second act, but it is absolutely a turning point. There's plenty more indecision and vacillation to come in one of the most famous speeches in the play coming up, I'll say fairly soon, but at least we can start to feel that maybe there is some hope for Hamlet. Given the enormity of this scene and the fact that we've been making our way through it for half a year now, there will be no episode of the Hamlet podcast next week. After a brief rest, I'll be back to you with a bonus episode marking the end of Act 2, Scene 2. Don't despair, though. There are still 110 episodes to come and we'll be underway with Act 3, Scene 1 before you know it. Thank you very much for staying with me this far and do keep up to date with the podcast on Instagram, Twitter or indeed on Facebook. I'll update the website now that we've finished Act 2 and you can access the full text, all of the episodes connected to it and just about everything else at thehamletpodcast.com. I'll speak to you very soon. <laughs>